0: before we begin study this morning, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I, I want to talk this morning about our relationship with the Lord, but first I want to talk about God's relationship with us. What's so amazing is that when we open up Torah, we meet the most powerful God, the creator of the whole universe, the one who exists before time and exists outside of time, but then he creates the time and space world out of nothing other than the sovereignty and power of his own will. So that's how we meet God and immediately we're introduced to the Holy Spirit and we're told that the Spirit of God starts hovering over the face of the earth and begins to do a creative work on on this world. But what's amazing is this all powerful God who's not just the God of heaven, he's the God of earth as well actually wants to have a personal relationship with his people and he he wants to feel close to us. He wants to express his love to us. He wants to show us his interest. And every grandmother and every grandfather, every parent has, has this kind of love in them that is born of God where you want to show the little ones that God gives you the love that you have. Before they've done anything, you want to express that love. And you begin to see the beauty and the future and the potential of the children and the grandchildren of the generations that God gives to you. And love rises up. And this love that you have is a reflection of the love that God has for you. So God has this desire to be close. And he wants to be an active and he wants to be a vital part of our lives. Now, some people feel like God is far away. They feel, okay, there is God, He's the prime mover of you know Aristotle and He created and then He stayed away from. He set everything in motion, but He's really outside of the world that we live in. The Torah actually gives us a very different picture because it's it gives us this radical idea. God has friends. And the God who's just the prime mover outside of the universe has no friends. He's all alone. He's just a force out there. But the God of Israel actually has friends. And that's a radical idea. One of God's best friends was Abraham. Now the king Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat knew how God felt about his friendship with Abraham. And so when Israel was under threat, Moab and others were getting ready to attack and their armies were fierce and strong and the king of Israel wasn't sure that they could defend themselves. He called everyone together and he called all of Israel to take a fast, to to not eat to not drink, and to come and to pray together and to look to God for help. And when Jehoshaphat prayed, this is what he said. It's in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Incidentally, you can find these scriptures on Facebook right now, and you can look at our Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue Facebook page or Messianic Jewish Teachings or my personal David Levine Facebook page. All these scriptures are there for you. Uh, or you can turn in your Bibles an amazing idea. <laughs> Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 6 and 7. I encourage you to bring a Bible. Bring more than one if you like. Bring an uh, old school Bible. It's great. Bring a digital Bible. That's also good. Uh, bring your devices. I think that it's alright to use your devices when you're using them for God's purposes. Now when I was a new believer, even though I'd grown up in synagogue and every week we were reading from the Chumash and reading Torah and, and so forth, and, and we didn't read just a selection like we do here. When I was growing up, we read the full portion, and if you were called to do a bar mitzvah, you read and chanted the whole half Torah portion, so, not just selections. Uh, and, and so it was serious business. But even so, the the scriptures in some ways were unfamiliar. And I remember when I became a believer and I was worshiping regularly and we would study together uh, whoever was speaking would use a lot of scriptures and I didn't really know where the books of the Bible were. Well I knew where the five books of Moses were, because that's easy, right? They're the first five books, they're easy to find. But the others I didn't know and so I had a Bible, someone gave me a Bible and a lot of people had the same kind of Bible so that helped me because I would use my suspicious looking glance out the side, you know, I was hoping no one would see when I was, you know looking at them, and I'd see how far they separated the two sides of their book, and I'd use that as a method because I was too embarrassed to actually look up in the index where are these books? So don't be embarrassed if you're in that condition. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 6 and 7. This is the prayer of Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel. He said, Lord, the God of our fathers, the God of our ancestors. When it says fathers, it's inclusive of mothers too. And that's why some translations say ancestors. But we could say the God of our fathers, the God of our mothers. Are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule also over the kingdoms of all the nations. Power and might are in your hand. And no one can withstand you. Oh God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? You see, when, when Jehoshaphat is talking to God, he's saying, we know who you are. You're the one who was friends with Abraham. You called Abraham your friend, and you made promises not just to Abraham, but to his descendants, and that's us. We're here. Remember us. We're your friends' kids, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren and so on. The prophet Isaiah also knew this this about God's relationship with Abraham. He brought a message to Israel and he he gave voice to God's friendship with Abraham. It's Isaiah 41 verse 8. This is actually the Lord speaking. And Isaiah wrote this down, but you Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, Descendant of Abraham, my friend. What an amazing description, not just of Abraham, but of God. And it tells us something that God is very personal, right? He has friends. And he's saying Abraham is my friend. The apostles recognize God's friendship with Abraham also. In the Brita Hadashah, the letter from the apostle Yaakov Uh, Now, how's how's Yaakov called in English? James. That's right. But that's because it was King James who, you know, (laughs) picked that. It really would have been more accurate if it was Jacob. Or we could say Jack. You know, we could shorten it. But, you know, as far as I understand, England never had King Jack. Should have. So they called him James, but his name was not James. His name was Yaakov. And he wrote, he wrote to uh, Messianic Jews all over the diaspora. It's in James chapter 2, verse 23. And this is what he wrote. It says, Abraham believed God, and that faith was regarded by God as his approval of Abraham. And as it was counted, the scripture says, as righteousness to Abraham. And then James adds this comment, and so Abraham was called God's friend. So the kings of Israel recognized this. The the prophets of Israel recognized this. The apostles recognized this, that God has friends. And they speak of Abraham continually as a friend of God. Now Moses was also a friend of God. We see this in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. It says, the Lord would speak to Moses personally, the way a man speaks to his friend. Now at this point, it, it's, worth, it's worth thinking about friendship and the word friend, especially if you use Facebook. Because when we think of Facebook friends, you know they're not really friends just because Facebook says they're friends. How many of you knew that already? How many of you are disappointed? I thought I had 1,769 real friends. No. You have friends, but the fact that they're called friends on Facebook, it doesn't make them friends. Some of them wouldn't even recognize you if you were standing next to them. You may be sitting one row ahead of or behind someone who's a friend on Facebook. They don't know you. You don't know them. Being called a friend is not the same as being a friend. And it's also worth contrasting uh, true friendship with BFF friendship. You know, text friendship. Best friend forever. Because a, a lot of Uh, A lot of texters have BFFs today and a week from tomorrow they're going to have a whole new set of BFFs. And so when you're thinking of friendship, it's important to understand that friendship is a good word. Friend is a good word. But when the when Torah, when the prophets, when the British Shah uses this word, it's using it in a very high way, not in a low way. It's not a Facebook level friend, it's it's not a fair weather friend. The the one who was held up as the first model of friendship, Abraham, trusted God. So God's view of friendship is not casual. He's not your buddy. That's not what he means. I want you to understand that because some people say, oh yeah, I'm friends, with, I'm friends with the Lord. And what they mean is nothing like what the Lord means. Because the Lord has a view of friendship that includes personal relationship. It includes commitment. It includes trust, interest, communication, dedication, and so forth. And it says that the Lord would speak to Moses personally, face to face the way one speaks to his friend. Now Yeshua has a lot to say about friendship also. And he calls his disciples to recognize his friendship with them. He initiates that with them. It's in John 15, chapter 15, uh, verse 15, that Yeshua says something really important to his disciples. He says, I've called you friends Because everything that I've learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Yeshua was saying, I've not held anything back. I'm giving you everything that God has for you. But let's let's see the context of this. And I'd encourage you to turn to John chapter 15. And we'll start in verse 9. We'll look at a few verses together. Yeshua is talking to his closest disciples and he says this, "...as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, and so that your joy may be complete." This is really very important. Why is Yeshua telling all of this? Because he wants us to experience the joy that he has. He could have said, I'm telling you all this because I want you to be really religious. I want you to be really observant. I want you to be really devout. Or as some groups say, I want you to be practicing. But that's not what Yeshua says. He says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. He wants us to experience his joy. Now if you have a picture of Yeshua where he's like somber and serious all the time and he's just like weighed down or he's judging and critical, he's the angry one, all he does is turn over tables in the temple, or he's just like always calling people out, you know, your whitewashed sepulchres. Uh, It's even hard to pronounce sepulchre. I don't know how you do it in Hebrew. If your view that he is just the angry one, then this would not make sense to you, but he says, I told you this so that my joy may be in you. Now have you ever been around a human black hole? This is the kind of person uh, who can day. A great life, in fact. And you come into contact with such a person, and it's like their gravity is greater than the gravity of the rest of the universe. And they pull life and light and joy right out of you. You thought things were going well, and you say something about how great life is, and then they tell you how bad it is. And pretty soon, ugh. How many can relate to that? You've come into contact with human black holes, yeah. The best thing you can do is escape from their orbit before it's too late. <laughs> you know, call to Scotty to. <laughs> what is it that Scotty does? <laughs> Not just beam me up, when he's got to use the extra power, you're know, like, shields up and. But when you know the tractor beam from the enemy is trying to pull in Star Trek, there's one more thing he can do. Yeah, get us out of here. Yeah, I got to brush up. I, I, I I'm not up to date on my Star Trek terminology. I know some of you could fill in the blanks right now. You're just being shy. What's that special power they can? Warp, Warp, speed. Yeah. Warp speed. Warp drive. Yeah. <laughs> Give me more power, Scotty. <laughs> when you're around a black hole, that's what you need. You need a Scotty. You actually need the Lord to help you get out of that. Now, at, at the same time, you may have had experience with a different kind of person. And this kind of person, they're not trite. They're not bubbly. They're, they're actually... Hopeful and, and positive. They're, they're filled with joy themselves even when things are difficult. And they can see beyond the momentary troubles. And maybe you're talking about your difficulty and they'll speak a word that encourages you. Have you ever been in that condition where you're, you're more prepared to feel bad than you are to feel good? But you come into contact with one of these people and they, they have an impact on your way of thinking and you start feeling better you were thinking this is terrible, and you're looking for someone to say, yeah, it's awful, and they tell you, you know, God's going to get you through this. And they say things to you that strengthen you, almost against your will, certainly against your emotional condition. And have you had contact with such people where you come out feeling good? How many can relate to that? And, and some of you are those kinds of people, and you have that impact on others. And so we see something. We see that that it's possible to take a position about joy in life. And and Yeshua is saying, here's my position. I have joy. I want you to have joy too. But Yeshua says, I want you to have my joy. He's not saying, I want you just to be happy. I don't want you just to muster up your own sense of joy. I want you to receive my joy. Now of course that requires a personal relationship. To receive someone else's joy, we have to be close to that person to take them seriously. So Yeshua says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now how many are in favor of complete joy? How many would like to have joy? Have you ever wanted to be positive? You wanted to be optimistic? You wanted to be hopeful? You wanted to think things were going to work out okay, but when your head hit the pillow all those dark thoughts made it difficult to go to sleep? Or have you been in that condition where you finally get to sleep and then you wake up in the morning and there they are again. The the dark cloud is right there and you just want to go back to sleep and not think these negative thoughts. You want to escape. I, I asked this question last night and, and one of the nine-year-olds said yeah, I can really relate to that. <laughs> and so it turns out it, this is not limited by age. Young people, old people can, can, can have these feelings. And how would you like to wake up in the morning and you've got this sense of joy, this Positive expectation, even if you 're in the midst of difficulty, you see Yeshua had joy about life, he had joy about us, even though he could anticipate that difficult things were going to happen. when he went to Lazarus and went to the grave of Lazarus, and Lazarus was already buried. he stood outside of of that place, and he wept, he could experience the fullness of motion. So Yeshua is not just this trite kind of superficial uh, person who who really can't experience the range or the depth of emotion. He has joy even in the midst of suffering. The Scripture teaches us that it was for the joy that was set before Him that He endured the suffering. And the truth is each one of us will suffer and that's why it's important for us to learn to, to be together the body of Messiah has this incredible capacity when one suffers, others suffer with that one. And at the same time, when one is joyful and glad, others rejoice as well. Your own capacity for joy will increase when you learn to enter into other people's joy. When the only joy you can have is your personal joy and what's good for you, then you'll be limited in your experience of joy. Yeshua is saying, I want my joy to be in you. I I want you to have what I have. And then he says, I want your joy to be complete. I want you to be able to live life, even with its ups and downs, with joy. So then in verse 12 Yeshua returns to something that he said in verse 10. He uses the word translated in English, command. He says, my command is this love each other as I have loved you. So he sets the bar really high, doesn't he? Love each other the way I've loved you. In order to understand that we have to experience and then appreciate the qualities of Yeshua's love towards us. Otherwise this will just go right over our heads and right over our hearts as well. And he's not saying love each other the way you love each other. Don't just love each other in the way that's customary to you. Even if you had a great family, even if you grew up in a loving family, that is not the perfect model for love. God's love for us is the perfect model. And Yeshua is saying, I want you, no, I command you to love each other the way I have loved you. That's interesting, because most people decide to love or express love only on the basis of emotion. If I feel it, I do it. But Yeshua is saying... No, I want your heart and your mind to be under the authority of your spirit. I want your spirit to be, your spiritual person to be so committed to me that when I say love, you say yes. You don't try to negotiate yourself out of it. You don't try to push it aside. And, and it's hard to do this sometimes, Uh, Maybe you've had this experience where the Lord wanted you to show love to someone who you didn't even like. And to show kindness. Or to show love to someone who had hurt your feelings or someone who hadn't treated you the way that was proper, the way that you expected. And yet the Spirit of God in you says, love them anyway. Now the only reason we can say yes to that is because we can reflect upon the love that God has shown us when we are called to forgive one another, it's because we forgive as we have been forgiven. Now, if, if you feel that you haven't done anything that needs God's forgiveness, I would say, good luck with that. <laughs> because all of us sin, all of us fall short, all of us go astray, Every one of us is vulnerable to sin. And this is why Torah teaches us that even the high priest of Israel sins. So it's not that the high priest is imperfect, is perfect, and the rest of us are not. No, everyone is imperfect. Even Moses sinned. And if Israel, if ancient Israel ever was going to have a hero who could have been idealized, it was Moses but we read in the Scriptures, even written by Moses. At Moses' hand, these words are told to us that he sinned when he struck the rock when God had told him to speak to that rock. And so we discover something, that that Moses sinned. So the high priest of Israel sins. Moses sins. Look around. There's someone looking back at you. They know you sin too. We all sin. We all sin, and that's why we need forgiveness and atonement. It's part of what's necessary for us. So Yeshua is saying, love each other as I have loved you, and that love has to express itself in every way that Yeshua has expressed love. Then verse 13, Yeshua says, "...greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends." And Yeshua is not trying to introduce a new proverb or a new kind of saying or principle. This is prophetic. He's trying to explain what's about to happen. And he's saying, "When I lay down my life for you, it's because I have great love." I'm doing this because of love. That's what Yeshua is teaching us. No other motivation. And this also helps us understand why Paul would say no matter what spiritual gifts you may have, if you exercise them without love, they are nothing and you are nothing. You can even donate everything you've got to humanitarian projects. But if it's without love, it counts as nothing. You can prophesy, but if it's without love, you're just a noisy gong. And you're just making a clanking sound in God's ears. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends because you liked me on Facebook. (laughs) You are my friends if you do what I command. Wow. So now we see something that that God speaks about Abraham as being his friend because Abraham trusted the Lord. And we see that Moses was God's friend because they had personal communication where Moses listened attentively and made God's priorities his own priorities and God's instruction his own way of life. Now we see what Yeshua says and that is, If my words are authoritative and they become commands to you that you follow through on then then you're my friend. So Yeshua is not giving us his suggestions. You know, here's an idea. Why don't you try to love each other? He actually says, here's a command. Love each other. And you know, he's saying this to the same disciples who were arguing who gets to sit next to him. You know, are like, I call shotgun. I get to sit in the front seat. <laughs> but he's just like, you guys, you're driving me crazy the way you argue with each other about this stuff. And he says, try serving each other. You want to be high, Serve. You want to be great, serve more. If you want the whole world to know you're my disciples, master four spiritual laws. No. What did Yeshua say? Love one another as I have loved you. Right? By this, all will know. This is the secret to bringing the good news. It's to showing love to one another. It's not by being perfect. So don't get all perfectionist on me or on yourself. And don't go home saying, oh, I'm so bad. That's not humility. That's just a, I don't know, it's either pride masquerading as something else or it's a wounded spirit and soul. I don't know what it is. Because God is interested in the least to the greatest. And so if you think you're the least and you're serious about it, you can join Paul in saying I was the worst. But if you think you're the worst and you're not serious about it, don't pretend to be so humble. Uh, It's just pride masquerading. You're trying to get other people to say you're not so bad. I use this method sometimes in counseling dejected people. My wife knows this. Uh, in rejected people, I, I've had people come to me and they say, no one likes me. And so, you know what I say to them? Tell me what's so bad about you that would cause this universal response. And almost always, such people say, there's nothing wrong with me. (laughs) And pretty soon they're defending themselves, you know, I'm a pretty good person. And I got lots of friends. A lot of people like me. And they talk themselves out of it. Now they don't like me after that, but that's another story. It's only temporary. You're my friends if you do what I command. That's what Yeshua said. Verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. He's just told, do this, do that. Instead, I've called you friends because everything that I've learned from my father I have made known to you. Now, I know that some people think that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, were superheroes. And that Moses was a superhero. And maybe they didn't have uniforms, but they had superpowers. And their superpower typically was this. They could have a relationship with God. And they were not like normal people. They weren't like you and me. And some people think that the apostles were superheroes too. It is true that these people were all remarkable. But what's more remarkable is that God knows us and he wants a personal relationship with us. So we know ourselves, right? We know what we're not. We know what our weaknesses are. We know what our strengths are. We know that that we're not great in the way that some of these others have been great. But you know what? God wants a personal relationship with every one of us. The prophet Jeremiah spoke about God's desire for all of Israel to know Him and to be close to Him. And we'll turn there in, in just a minute but I was thinking about the Haftorah reading uh, for today, which was from Hosea Hosea, uh, chapter 2. And in the Hebrew in verse 21, in the English verse 19, the Lord says, I'll betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. You shall know the Lord. You see God is speaking to Israel who is flawed, Israel who has her ups and downs, Israel who's not always faithful. And God is saying, I tell you this, you will know me. You will not just know about me, you will know me. Now you can turn to Jeremiah chapter 31 because it was through Jeremiah that the Lord spoke these words to all of Israel. The Lord said, they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. So my guess is you and I are somewhere in that continuum. Somewhere from the least to the greatest. You can look around and see yeah, it looks like that's who we are. We're somewhere on that scale, right? The question is, what makes it possible for all of Israel to have such a relationship with God? What's interesting is that Jeremiah brings this word of explanation to us. What makes it possible? And how many of you know that Jeremiah was not a Christian? How many of you knew this? Okay. How many of you knew that Jeremiah, though he was called a prophet to the nations was not Gentile either? Okay, you knew that too. Okay. How many of you know that Jeremiah was Jewish and that his his book is in the Jewish Bible? You know that? Okay, so this is Jeremiah's answer. Like, How is this going to happen that everyone will know? And Jeremiah says, he doesn't even say it as his own opinion. He doesn't even say, I got this great idea. You know what Israel needs is this. No, God speaks through Jeremiah these words to Israel. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 31. That's an easy one to remember, isn't it? If you can remember Jeremiah, it's just thirty-one, thirty-one. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make Habret Harasha a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Now once I was invited to uh, a Christian college Bible study group. They invited me as a Messianic rabbi. I I don't know why they invited me. (laughs) No, I have an idea. They were, I I think, Seventh-day Baptists. I didn't even know there was such a thing. Yeah, they were called Seventh-day Baptists, which meant that they didn't gather, they didn't take as the Sabbath Sunday, they took uh, Saturday as the Sabbath for them. I'm not sure that they thought that Friday night was part of the Sabbath. I didn't even ask that question. They weren't Jewish. None of them. But they invited me because, you know, I knew something about Shabbat. And so I decided to do a little Bible study with them, and I just asked them to read out loud to me Jeremiah 31 31. And I asked them to explain. And you would think college kids are capable of doing this. Uh, because I, it was just English. So I asked them what they knew about Jeremiah. Did they know, you know that he was Jewish? Not all of them knew that. But I asked this question, um, who does God say he will make the new covenant with? And they, I tell you, they were looking so hard at their Bibles at this one verse, they're trying to find the words that they thought were in there that weren't in there. And they were trying to deal with the words that were in there that they didn't know were actually in there. And so I, I saw the shock. And I said, who would, who would like to answer the question? And I said, You know, college kids, you know, they're cringing. And they invited me to come. I don't know why they invited me. I thought they wanted to learn something. (laughs) Silly me. No, they did. They wanted to learn something. But sometimes when you want to learn something the way you're going to learn it will shock you. And sometimes the wrong ideas have to be broken for the right ideas to come in. And so finally someone said, with the people of Israel. I said, yeah, and who else? And they said, with the people of Judah. And I said, who are those people? Silence. I said, let me explain to you who those people are. Israel and Judah, this is the whole of the Jewish people. And they were astounded that the new covenant was promised to the Jewish people. It's still a shock. I've had fascinating discussions with, with rabbis and I said, listen um, I've got a serious question. What do you think about the new covenant? And some have said, oh, the new covenant is coming. I said, well, when will the new covenant come? And the answer is uh, with Messiah. I said, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So it turns out that there are many people who know a little about this, but we have to to get a hold of the whole thing. The new covenant is something God has promised to Israel and it's activated, it's inaugurated, it's made possible by Messiah. Messiah. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Now this is very important because God is saying to Israel there will be some differences. And if if you as a Messianic believer don't understand that there will be some differences then you won't grasp what Jeremiah is talking about. He says it will be different. And God says Israel broke the covenant at Sinai. Now some people have difficulty with that. Some people think, oh Israel broke the Sinai covenant but I won't. Good luck with that. Other people think, and these are replacement minded people, they think, oh Israel broke the new covenant and so God rejects Israel. And this is not true. Israel broke the, broke the covenant at Sinai and God says because of that I'm going to give you a new covenant. Now let's look at what it says. This is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my Torah in their minds and I'll write it on their hearts. The Torah will not simply be external rules and regulations. It's not just that. The the Torah of God will be engraved on our minds and on our hearts. You see, it's important that we be able to use our minds, our hearts, every part of us in service to God. So it's not an either or. It's not that God says, well, I'm just going to fix the heart. He says, no, I want, I want you to be able to love me with all of your heart, but also with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. I want you to be able to love me with everything that you've got. So this is a life-affirming, human-affirming proclamation. I'll put my Torah in their minds, I'll write it on their hearts, I'll be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Now this is important because it's using the word for know, that's a, the same word that's used uh, in the marriage relationship to describe intimacy. This is not about information. And this is, about, this is not about simple knowledge. This is about having a personal relationship that's an intimate relationship uh, with one another. Why won't they have to teach and convince and persuade their neighbor know the Lord? Because they will all know me. And it's not because everyone's so great It's because God is so great. It's not because everyone has finally perfected themselves. It's because God is perfect and He's pouring out His perfect love upon us. And then He says something that humbles us all. He says because I will forgive their wickedness and I'll remember their sins no more. In other words, He's saying that, that one of the most important aspects of this new covenant is forgiveness. And you know what that means? Every one of us needs to come to terms with our own failures before God. Our rebellion, our sin, our iniquity, our transgressions. Everything that we do that's not pleasing to the Lord. We all have to come to terms with that. And if we say, I don't sin at all, then we're in trouble with God. Verse 35, this is what the Lord says He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease being a nation before me. So the Lord is saying that the natural order is his testimony of his own faithfulness about how He's preserving Israel through ups and downs, thick and thin, failures and successes. So what relationship does God want with us? It's really clear. He wants each of us to have a personal relationship with Him. It's not just Abraham. It's not just Moses. It's not just the saints of old. It's not just the high prophets. It's not just those who attain to greatness. It's the least and the greatest and everyone in between. Now, you can decide where you fit into that continuum, but you're somewhere on there. Somewhere from the least to the greatest. And God is saying, I want a personal relationship with you. And he'll settle for nothing less. He'll allow life to to teach us. He wants us to know him personally, to know his word, to be his people, to trust him, to be trustworthy to him, to love him. It's not enough just to know that he exists. You do need to know that. But it's not enough to know about him. He's not trying to raise up more theologians. He's trying to raise up sons and daughters. And he pours out his Holy Spirit so that the Spirit of God in us can boldly proclaim to him that he is Abba, that he is Father. He speaks through us. The Spirit of God in us changes us. The Spirit of God in us speaks to God and calls him Abba. The Spirit of God in us teaches us what's pleasing to God and empowers us to live for him. There are are things you want that you can't attain all by yourself. But you can with God. And it's not what just with God's help. God wants to be in you, writing on your heart and on your mind in leading you forward so that the Spirit of God can unite us with God and with one another. That's what the prophet Joel was talking about in Joel 2.28. We'll, we'll end with this. This was A prophecy that Peter cited on Shavuot when the Holy Spirit was poured out in Jerusalem to explain what was going on. It's Joel 2.28 in the English. It will come about after this that I the Lord will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. God has a plan to pour out his spirit on all flesh and blood. Now you can check yourself just pinch something and see if you're flesh and blood. Don't pinch somebody else but pinch yourself. It's like yeah I am flesh and blood. I am flesh and blood. I'm part of humanity and God is saying I want to pour out my spirit on you. You may be old, you may be young. You may be male, you may be female, you may be free, you may not be free, but the Lord is saying on all I want to pour out my spirit. You see Yeshua came down from heaven to show us God's love and he died in order to provide the perfect atonement from our sins and he rose from the dead in order to prove God's victory over the power of sin and death. But it didn't stop there. He returned to heaven in order to send the Holy Spirit so that every one of us could be filled with the Holy Spirit and what God has promised through Jeremiah, through Hosea would actually come into reality. So I want to pray for everyone who wants to know the Holy Spirit, to be full of the Holy Spirit, to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. I remember this Jewish guy in in Ukraine, his name was Pinchas. He was trying to describe to us the importance of to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And he presented this word picture and he said it, it, it's like it's like a bottle, a big bottle with a cork. And it's put under the water and then you take the cork out and <laughs> he did that. And <laughs> whoosh, it's filled up. And Years later, I can't get that out of my mind. To be immersed in the Holy Spirit is a poetic picture, but what it means is the Holy Spirit becomes the environment around us and we empty vessels open up and get filled so that we can be faithful to God, so that the commands of God can be written on our hearts, and on our minds so that we can do what God tells us to do, so that we have His power. And so everybody who wants more of the Holy Spirit, I want to pray for you right now. You can stand up, that's good. If you don't feel like standing up, you can just say, well, I'm standing up, sort of. (laughs) You can be standing up in your heart. And if you say, you know, Lord, I, I want more of you. Spirit of God, we ask you to fill us up. God Almighty, we thank you that you're not just the God of heaven, you're the God of earth, and that you have decided you want to live in our midst and you want to take up residence inside of us. And so we say, come Holy Spirit and fill us up. Lord, we want to receive the very gift of the Holy Spirit, and we want to receive all of his gifts and all of his ways of working so that we could live for you. We want the joy that comes from you. Because you teach us that the kingdom of God is not a matter of what you eat or drink, but it's righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy in the Holy Spirit. Yeshua, we thank you that the joy that you have you want to share with us. And you want our experience of joy to be a complete experience. Lord, we know that you have said, it's not by our own might, it's not by our own power, but it's by the Spirit of God. And so we say, thank you, Lord, for your Spirit. Thank you for the free gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the new covenant that you have made possible, that you have made available, that you have opened up to us. You didn't reject us, but you loved us as a faithful husband. You loved us with sincerity, with perfect love. And so we ask, Lord, pour your Spirit into us, fill us up, and let it be as we gather together on on Sunday at 5, that your outpouring of the Holy Spirit is remarkable and life-changing for us. We ask this with confidence in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing so you can remain standing if you're all by yourself. You can shuffle a little bit. Thank you, Sandy. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua the Prince of Peace. Shabbat Shalom.